This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, June 16th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. President Obama has been heard to worry about leaving a loaded weapon lying around for future presidents, but it doesn't seem that he's all that interested in tyrant-proofing the White House before his departure. At a Cato Institute Capitol Hill briefing in May, Republican Representative Jeb Hensarling of Texas discussed the atrophied powers of Congress against a beefed-up executive branch. So we are here to explore the question of whether or not the growth of the executive branch is, quote unquote, a loaded weapon threatening our constitutional separation of powers. You need not peek to the end of the remarks to know that the answer is emphatically, unequivocally and tragically yes. Many of you have uh, heard this story uh, before, uh, but at the dawn of the Republic during the Constitutional Convention at its conclusion. Uh, Franklin left Independence Hall, and a lady was known to shout from him afar, Mr. Franklin, what kind of government have you given us? Most of you know the answer, a republic if you can keep it. Unfortunately, we have not done a very good job in keeping faith with the Founders' vision of the republic, and it remains an open question. Will we be able to keep the republic in an era where the separation of powers has waned? Instead of having a limited federal government operating from clearly defined enumerated powers, we now have a Leviathan that has metastasized into the nation's largest creditor, debtor, lender, largest employer, property owner, tenant, insurer, health care provider, and pension underwriter, and the list goes on. Instead of having firmly committed checks and balances, we now have the president's infamous pen and phone. Regrettably, he does not seem to have a copy of the Constitution. Instead of three co-equal branches of government, we have seen the rise of the unaccountable fourth branch of government, namely agency government. Our woeful neglect of America's first principles clearly predates the Obama presidency, and regrettably, uh, the uh, decline has occurred during the administration of both Democrats and Republicans. But there can be no denying that the wounds to our Constitution have grown markedly worse during Barack Obama's time in office, and I would argue is soon to reach crisis proportions. As a member of Congress, clearly I have no more important job or sacred duty than fealty to the Constitution, yet I do not recall a time in my lifetime when the Constitution was more under assault than it is today. Just in the last few years, we have seen our president unilaterally create new law, annul existing law, and even declare the Senate in recess when it was not so that he could install political functionaries into top government positions. Clearly, that whole advice and consent foolishness can be such a bother to a chief executive. The devotees of this governing philosophy of the president's, so at odds with America's founding principles, call themselves progressive, as you know. But as my good friend and our current speaker, Paul Ryan, has said, quote, the ironic thing about progressivism is that it is terribly old-fashioned. For progressives believe only a certain class of people, a class to which they, of course, belong, have the duty and responsibility to hold political power and govern over the rest of us. We must yield to their expert management for our own good because as one architect of Obamacare infamously said, the rest of us are just too stupid to know better. 
So how could we possibly know what healthcare plan is best for us, what kind of mortgage we need, or how much water we should put into our toilets? To progressives, the Constitution is such an inconvenience. Herbert Crowley, a leading voice of the early progressive movement and co-founder of the New Republic magazine, said as much when he stated the progressive vision of government, quote, legislates without being a legislature. It administers without being an executive. It adjudicates, but without any power of attaching final construction to the law. It is simply a convenient means of consolidating the divided activities of the government for certain practical and social purposes. James Madison in Federalist Number 47 had a uniquely different take on this notion when he wrote, quote, the combination of all power, legislative, executive, and judiciary in the same hands may justly be pronounced the very definition of tyranny. The seed of this form of tyranny was planted during the Wilson administration. It bloomed during FDR's New Deal, became overgrown in LBJ's Great Society, and has now reached crisis proportions under President Obama. This century-long progressive expansion of unconstitutional government has unleashed the modern regulatory state as we know it, extremely powerful, exceedingly intrusive, imperiously opaque, baffingly bureaucratic, and alarmingly unaccountable. Now, Congress has not been, regrettably, an innocent bystander during all of this. The stability of our system of government depends upon our representative, transparent, and accountable Congress to make its laws. As we all know, Article 1, Section 1 of our Constitution states, quote, all legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress. Yet for years, Congress has outsourced more and more of its legislative authority to a faceless, nameless, unaccountable bureaucracy. This self-enfeeblement has not only allowed Congress to escape blame when these regulations go bad, it has trampled on the power of we, the people, by giving these Washington bureaucrats huge swaths of power over the lives and livelihoods of our fellow citizens. When Congress allows its authority to be usurped, the people's right to both self-government and due process is undermined. Instead of being governed by the rule of law, citizens increasingly become governed by the rule of rulers. The citizens' right to carefully deliberate proposed legislation through their representatives in Congress becomes reduced to nothing more than a mere notice and comment period where they are permitted to merely lodge complaints and suggestions, all of which the unelected bureaucrats are free to ignore, all of which the unelected bureaucrats may use to retaliate. The result, we now have federal agencies that are legislature, cop on the beat, judge, jury, and recipient of the fine all rolled into one. It is OSHA now, not Congress, that governs over workplace safety. It is EPA now, not Congress, that governs over our air quality. It is HHS, not Congress, that governs over our health care. And most alarmingly, to our economic opportunity and economic liberty, it is the bureaucratic progeny of Dodd-Frank that now rules over our financial opportunity. None of us can afford to lose sight of Madison's famous warning that, quote, there are more instances of the abridgment of freedom of the people by gradual and silent encroachment by those in power than by violent and sudden usurpations. That's why Senator Mike Lee and I joined together and co-founded earlier this year the Article I Project, a network of conservative members of the House and Senate working together on an agenda to revitalize and reconstitutionalize Washington and reclaim Congress's rightful constitutional role. How do we do this? 
First, Congress must reaffirm the primacy of congressional authority. And, all, and of all the tools we can use to address this, none is greater than the power of the purse. The Article I responsibility is the most potent and effective instrument we have to hold the executive accountable. No less authority than James Madison agrees, as he explained in the Federalist Papers number 58. The power of the purse, quote, is the most complete and effectual weapon with which any constitution can arm the immediate representatives of the people for obtaining a redress of every grievance. To put it a bit more simply, and to paraphrase a colorful federal uh, fellow Texan, President Lyndon Baines Johnson, once you grab a bureaucracy by its budget, its heart and mind will soon follow. Even though the Constitution gives Congress the sole power of the purse, through time we have ceded control of the purse strings on many occasions. From putting over 60% of the federal budget on autopilot to giving federal agencies the ability to spend user fees they collect without going through Congress annually, past Congresses have made it difficult to utilize the power of the purse. Taking back this fundamental constitutional responsibility is the lion's share of, of, of uh, restoring the constitutional balance in Washington. In addition to reclaiming the power of the purse, Congress must also end <clears throat> the practice of delegating lawmaking authority to unelected and unaccountable agency government. No more passing vague laws that direct agencies to merely fill in the blanks. Besides directly handing over our legislative authority to agencies, one of the ways that Congress uh, has been relegated to the legislative sidelines is through a legal doctrine established by the Supreme Court known as the Chevron Deference. Chevron simply states that federal judges must give deference to an agency's interpretation of an ambiguous statute if that interpretation is quote-unquote reasonable, an incredibly low threshold to be met. Through Chevron, federal agencies are able to essentially rewrite laws passed by Congress through the rulemaking process. This is a major part of the foundation of the so-called fourth branch of government, again, which entitles federal agencies to become legislator, prosecutor, judge, and jury. Last month, the Article I project introduced the separation of powers, restor rest let's try that again, <laughs> Restoration Act, to restore the balance of power outlined in the Constitution. This legislation, which was introduced in the House, by Congressman John Ratliff and in the Senate by Senator Orrin Hatch would undo Chevron and allow judges to merely interpret the statute as passed by Congress and determine if the agency's action is in line with the laws passed by Congress. What a novel concept to actually allow federal judges to merely interpret the law. In his penultimate State of the Union message, President Reagan reminded us that those three simple words, we the people, make all the difference between our Constitution and the Constitution of other nations. Quote, in those other constitutions, he said, quote, the government tells the people what they are allowed to do. In our Constitution, we, the people, tell the government what it can do and that it can only do those things that are listed in that document and no others. Our constitutional system of checks and balances and the rule of law are the very foundation of our freedom and our prosperity. Erosion of these foundational principles will inevitably lead to fewer economic opportunities to achieve the American dream. If we're going to protect and preserve the freedom and liberty that make America the greatest nation on earth, we must ultimately defend our Constitution. Let us begin the work today. Thank you very much.
Jeb Henserling is a Republican U.S. representative from Texas. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.